This is Anabaptist Perspectives. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. We're here again with Alan Roth down in Athens, Tennessee. It's great to have you down here in the area. Um, So we've done a few episodes with you. Uh, You're from Brooklyn. Why don't you just spend a little bit of time introducing yourself and, and some of the work you're involved in? Okay. Well, so very briefly, we were involved in church planning and leadership training in, in Nicaragua, Central America, for about seven years. From there, we moved to New York City and were involved in a church plant there and then in pastoring that church. We have lived outside of an established Mennonite community since 1978, and we've always been a minority where we've lived. We've always lived in a community where there's been another language, primary language being spoken. Uh, We've never been able to depend on church planning by drawing people from other Mennonite churches to help us get them started. So it's been start from scratch, and that's been our life journey, 40 years compressed in two minutes. (laughs) So that's going to bring us into today's topic, which I think you will have some unique perspectives on because of your life experience. I'm just going to read some of the things we had jotted down here. So when we think about church planting, um, church planters, evangelists, etc., we all have our own culture. Um, this is something we can't really escape. Sometimes we observe those working to establish a church uh, rather awkwardly negotiating with our own culture. How do these things work? On the one hand, we may say things like, this is just my culture and it's not a gospel issue. But on the other hand, we could say, my culture is biblically based. Therefore, the people we're ministering to, they need to repent um, and should embrace my culture. What would you just say to someone who's struggling to develop a settled stance towards their own culture while ministering to those of a different culture? Well, as I've thought about this, Reagan, I, one of the first things that came to mind is that often we don't even understand our own spiritual heritage as Anabaptists. And secondly, we don't understand our own North American culture for those of us who are living here in North America. And so, while we don't know our own spiritual core values, we aren't aware of our own culture's values. It's sort of like it's hard to smell your own bad breath. We go into another setting, into another culture, and we are more sensitized to what they may be doing wrong, or at least different. And we assume since it's different, it's probably wrong but where you don't realize what we may be trying, we may be importing and imposing into that setting. So I would suggest, Reagan, that one of the first things to do is just a step back and take a reflection on what were the core values of Anabaptism. For those of us who have grown up in Mennonite churches, we are more aware of individual issues that are being wrestled with at the local level in a given congregation and the differences we might have with the neighboring congregation. And we may be reacting to those things or, or we may just be assuming since we've always done it this way, this is the way it's done. Young people will typically tend to be more questioning of those things. Older people will tend to be more assuming that the way we've done it is right. So just very, very briefly, I see six core values of Anabaptism. And three of these come out of Harold Bender's little booklet, The Anabaptist Vision. And one of those was that the essence of Christianity is we are disciples, followers of Jesus. He who knows Jesus truly follows him daily in life. 
that salvation is not merely a legal transaction completed in heaven, but it is something that is walked out also here on the earth. And without discipleship, then we're not true followers of Jesus. And a second core value is the church is a brotherhood, the local church. It is a community of believers who have voluntarily committed themselves to walk and work together, the community of believers, brotherhood. And so out of that flows believers' baptism, for example, and nonconformity to the world, holy living, and so on. The third core value that Harold Bender highlighted was the ethic of suffering love. We sometimes call it non-resistance coming out of the wording in Matthew 5. But the refusal to take part in any violence against anyone under any circumstances. Suffering love. But there are three others that Bender did not mention, and I don't know if it's because he assumed them or if because the broader Mennonite church at that time already was experiencing erosion in those. I'm not sure. Uh, One of them was a compelling vision for the Great Commission. The early Anabaptists were Great Commission Christians, and they openly, continuously, vigorously, courageously proclaimed, announced the gospel, and called for a decision. It was not a matter of just look at my life and watch, and you'll get, you'll get it that way. They believed in verbalizing the gospel. Another key uh, value, core value, was a Christ-centered approach to scriptures. Not that the only valid scriptures were the red letters, but in all parts of the scripture, the Old Testament looking forward to Christ, the gospels highlighting Christ, the epistles walking out, working out what it means to walk with Christ in the local church, and then the revelation, of course, the completion of all things through the glorified Christ. So I see these as being uh, six very core values of Anabaptism. I think it's very important for us to take a look at what really was Anabaptism all about so that we know from what we are starting and where we are heading. Those are core value things you're talking about. But how do we identify our own blind spots, I guess? We have our American culture, at least for you and I, Americans, um, but also a subculture, which would be Anabaptist. Um, and I'm trying to, to pull those apart and understand, I, you know, this is this is hard for me, you know, because I travel internationally. And all of a sudden you start seeing, oh, I have certain assumptions about how things work that aren't necessarily assumed in other parts of the world. How do we split these things mm-hmm. apart? You know? Well, in addition to understanding what are the core values of Anabaptism, I think it's helpful to understand just a bit about culture itself. Cultures were produced by people. In the very beginning in Genesis, God gave man a cultural mandate to take care of the earth, to subdue it, to develop it. And then people began to develop musical instruments and livestock and cultivation, cultivating or growing livestock and uh, iron work and so on. Jabel, Jubal, and Tubal Cain, those three brothers, that's the cultural mandate. So God intends for us to develop the world, and out of that then grows our cultures. Now, <clears throat> cultures are created by man. Since we as people are fallen, we've been impacted by the fall, everything that we develop has something good to it, but it has a shadow side to it. 
There are three ways uh, that we can look at culture. One is that sometimes cultures are friendly toward biblical values, and they're a reflection of the image of God in the people that he has created. Other times, culture is just neutral. It's just a way of doing things. Not bad, just different. Really, to God, does it matter if you wear shoes when you're in church or if you take them off and leave them at the door? If you sit on benches or if you sit on the floor? Do you put your Bible on an elevated position or do you have it sitting with you on the floor? You know, those are cultural things that are neither here nor there. Do you eat with knives, spoons, and forks or do you eat with your fingers? And some people feel more comfortable with the one, some people feel more comfortable with the other. Not bad, just different. But then there's a third category. Sometimes aspects of culture are enemies to biblical values. They are in opposition to biblical values. And this comes as a result of our fallenness, the, the impact of the demonic forces and of our own sin and selfishness. As we encounter aspects of culture, our own or others, the first thing we should do to ask is, does the Bible say something about this? What does the Bible say? And of course, to answer that, we have to know the Bible, and we have to be open to it, and we need to be openly practicing it and willing to adjust our lifestyle according to it. So we always need to ask that. So as we encounter aspects of culture, we ask that question. I think it's also very, very useful to discuss if there are Christians in that local culture, to discuss with them and ask them questions. Now, sometimes depending on the interfacing of the two cultural cultures, mine and yours, it might be hard for the local believer to actually tell me what he thinks because of honor-shame issues or power issues or employer-employee issues. And so at some points, it may not be easy to get a straightforward answer until relationships are developed. In every uh, church group, wherever they're found in the world, of course, there are some believers that are more mature, more understanding, more godly. There are others that are less well-developed. They're immature believers and so on. So just because one local believer says something about an aspect of culture doesn't mean that that's the last word, just like it's that way in our own culture as well. But developing good relationships with locals, and even if there are no mature Christians yet in that culture, there are God-fearing, respectable, moral, upright people that we can ask as well to begin to try to find out, how does God look at this? What does the Bible say about this? So people from different cultural backgrounds will read the Bible and they'll see different things jumping out at them than what other people will. We need believers from other backgrounds as well to help us to sort through some of these questions. That's really helpful. The diversity in, among God's people is something I find very fascinating. It's like this mosaic mm -hmm. comes together. And we have a lot to learn from mm -hmm. people from a, maybe a different background than, than ourselves. Mm -hmm. How do we go about, um, like, what should we make of these cultural distinctives when engaging with people from a non-Western and or a non-Anabaptist mm -hmm. background? Like, let's get kind of practical here here at Anabaptist Perspectives. I and mean, we get emails and comments from people all over the world, you know, that come from very different and diverse backgrounds, both culturally and the way they practice Christianity. 
How, how do we do this practically? Well, like with so many other things that are hard, we start with praying, right? And the Lord has promised us wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously without scolding. But let him ask in faith without wavering. So some of these things are not sorted out easily or quickly. And it's a long walk in pondering and watching and gaining counsel and so on. There, there needs to be a sensitivity developed to the people to whom we go, the receptor culture, let's call it, where we are living. And we're trying to figure out how things operate here and what are the meanings of things. So we need to grow in a receptivity and sensitivity to people in that culture and truly hear what they think and try to understand why they think the way they think, because the way people do things makes sense to them. Now, very few people go out and just do stuff deliberately because it makes no sense at all. Somehow it makes sense to them. It may not make sense to us, and we may not agree, and in many cases we shouldn't agree, but we should try to understand. What does this mean from the inside? So we have that sense of sensitivities that we need to develop. On the other hand, we need to retain a sensitivity to the sending culture, to our own people who have sent us. And of course, this gets somewhat complicated, additionally complicated in our setting as conservative Anabaptists because we are Swiss, Dutch, German descendants of immigrants in this country surrounded by a broader, wider mainstream North American culture. So we're a subset within the mainstream culture that has been impacted by the mainstream culture. But at any rate, we need to retain a sensitivity to our own people who have sent us. And so sometimes the cross-cultural worker, right now I'm not talking about geography because it can happen right here in our own country. Uh, sometimes we're caught in the middle trying to navigate two sets of peoples, two cultures, and how to be respectful of both without being duplicitous, deceitful. When I was young, Reagan, uh, we used to, mostly the cars were manual transmission. And if a car wouldn't start, you had to push it, right? So you put a tire between the car that was pushing and the bumper of the car that was being pushed because the bumpers were chrome and you didn't want to scratch them up. Well, the missionary is like that tire. He gets the squeeze. He's in between the sending culture and the receptor culture and tries to interpret or explain to each and tries to retain a sensitivity and respectful servant attitude to each. Now, where this can get really difficult is then when the worker's children have grown up in the receptor culture and don't identify as much with the sending culture, the sending church. And then the parents also have the duty to try to explain and interpret that to their own children in ways that are positive. Yeah. So finally, and most importantly, what does scripture say about how evangelists or church planters or cross-cultural workers in general, um, how should they relate to new believers and potential believers from a different culture? So let's go, let's go straight to scripture. What do you see? Well, like I had said, first of all, 
we need to ask over and over again, what does the Bible say? Mm -hmm. And Reagan, here are a few passages that I think are especially germane to your question. One would be Acts 10. Watch Peter's encounter with Gentiles. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, of food there in that passage, a lot of insight to mind. Another one would be Acts 15, where the early church called a conference together to discuss, do Gentile believers need to go through circumcision, the rite of circumcision, in order to be included in the body of Christ? That was a huge issue. It was like a continental divide. And uh, they came out well in that. Otherwise, we would all have to be, become Jews in order to be followers of Jesus. That is also a very useful passage. Another one would be Acts 17, where Paul engages uh, philosophers in, on Mars Hill in Athens. And his thoughtful approach to them is uh, very helpful. Another one to reflect on would be Acts 20, where Paul, in his last visit to the leaders of the Ephesian church, which he had planted, he reflects on his years of ministry among them. That passage also is very useful in thinking about how we relate with new believers and with believers of another culture. Uh, still another one would be Romans 14 and 15, where Paul talks about differences in the body of Christ. And he mentions specifically vegetarianism and non-vegetarianism and uh, keeping certain days as more holy than others and other days are all the same holy and how to work with those differences in the local body of believers. So there, those are some passages, for starters, that you can dig into as you think about this question. And like on other questions you have asked, I, I should have said you start first. After you have asked, what does the Bible say? You should pray a lot. Lord, how do you want me to engage these new believers? What is your strategy how to instruct them? Now, we know the end goal, Jesus himself said, is to teach them everything, to obey everything I've commanded you. So that's the end goal, but you don't get there on the first day. And so how do we get from where the person is to where Jesus says he wants them to be? I really like with new believers, I like starting out together reading through one of the Gospels. I like to start with Matthew because it's at the beginning of the New Testament and because it very quickly gets you into the lifestyle of the follower of Jesus, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And you begin talking about lifestyle issues like money and anger and sexual desire and defending yourself when, when people harm you and so many really practical things. I don't remember the source that it is thought that the Gospel of Matthew was written as a catechism or a series of lessons for new believers to disciple new believers. And it makes sense when you, when you read through that book to see how he unfolds that. Another thing that I've discovered is when the Lord allows me to see a problem area in a new believer, before just going right there and talk about it, I like to pray first and say, well, Lord, how do you want me to address this and when? And would you please prepare that person for it? And when I sense the time is right and he gives me an approach, which varies from person to person, one of the things I like to do is read a passage of the Bible that addresses that and then just ask them, 
uh, what do you think about this? What do you see here? If they don't get it, they don't make the connection, then I'll say, well, here's something that I've noticed in your life. How does that fit with what this Bible passage says? So what it does is it, it keeps nudging them back to the Bible rather than going first to other booklets and books. Here, read this is a really good book on it. Well, you can probably find another really good book somewhere else that says something different. Get them to go back to the Bible and ask them to pray over it and get back together again. And let's talk about it and pray over it and see what God says about this. If the person says, well, I remember one time in Central America, I noticed in one of the young men and his wife and their children that were in training with us, I noticed that they didn't really spank their children for anything. And it was, an, it was a concern to me how these children were going to turn out. And so I mentioned to him about corporal correction. He says, oh, that's just you North Americans, Baggy. That's your North American way of looking at it. We're Hispanics. We don't do it that way. Oh, well, how do you do it? Um, what does the Bible say about it? Well, I don't know that it says anything. Well, here, here are some Bible passages. Why don't you read them? And then let's talk about them and see what the Bible says about it. So then that way it becomes, it, it's less you against me, me against you, and less about your culture, my culture. But let's see what the Bible says. Sometimes when we actually read it, they'll say, well, I don't, I don't, see, I don't see that. This is what I see. Oh, really? I didn't see that. Maybe it will help me to grow. Or maybe it will help them to discover something that it was a blind spot to them. So that's for starters in answer to your question. Do you have something more you'd like to follow up on that one? Wait, I really like that. Like that's just some good hands-on things and, and great places to start, especially the always bringing it back to scripture. It's so easy to let the differences devolve into my culture is more superior than your culture or something. And that has always struck me. That just doesn't seem helpful to anybody. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I actually, I don't have any follow-up questions. This, this is really some good advice here. Well, let me add to it something, Reagan. When we go to share the gospel and plant churches, obviously we would have a leg up on people who have not heard the gospel and have not had Christian values overtly shaping their culture, their lifestyle. So it makes sense that there would be, we would be down the road farther than what they are, especially if we are from faith communities that have been anchored tightly to scripture for generations, maybe for several hundreds of years. And we have been beneficiaries of blessings, of values in ways we don't even imagine because of those who have gone before us. However, a fatal assumption can be when we go to a receptor culture, a fatal assumption can be that all of our values have been uh, fully shaped by scripture as they should be, and that everything we do is as it ought to be done. We have blind spots. Every culture, there are blind spots. There are areas that still need transformation. You know, it's always easier to see somebody else's blind spot than to see your own. And sometimes even unbelievers can see our blind spots as Christians that we can't see. So when we go to that culture, it needs to be with a great deal of not only confidence in the gospel, definitely confidence in the scripture, but there needs to be humility. 
because sometimes what we think of scripture is merely our understanding or misunderstanding of it. And our pride, our arrogance can blind us to it. And the way we have always done things isn't necessarily always the way it should be done. And others can speak into our lifestyles and values and bring correction, even when they are very young believers, or sometimes even when they're still yet pre-believers, unbelievers, but they see things that we don't see. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to share. This is a, a lot to think about and a lot of both principles and, and practical things, I think, that all of us can go out and start applying more. I know I, I certainly learned a lot. So thank you for your willingness to share these lessons with us. You're welcome. I really appreciate that. For more information about Anabaptist Perspectives, to read our blog, to donate, and to see videos of the conversations you hear on this podcast, visit anabaptistperspectives.org. We love to hear from our audience, so leave your feedback in the comments for this podcast or send us a message through our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We invite you to join our monthly partner program. Monthly partners are key to the financial sustainability of Anabaptist Perspectives. Partners also gain access to bonus content, including our exclusive podcast where we respond to audience questions and comments. Sign up at anabaptistperspectives.org.